I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 206. Well, tell me what you want to tell me because I've oh been dying. God. Okay, y'all know how Donna is whenever you think something's funny and you're like, oh, I got to tell you this, but I was going to save it to tell y'all too. And then <laughs> Colby said, did you tell her anything? And I was like, no, and quit talking about it because now she's not even going to laugh. <laughs> Just for one, for sheer principle of the matter because that's how she is. Oh my God. And two, because then she'll be like, you built it up. It's not funny anymore. But okay. So, I finally got a jade roller for my face. Yeah. And I have been wanting one for so long. Put it on my Christmas list, but I put a really expensive one on there. Yeah, not $16. Realizing. Yeah, this one I got for like eight. Yeah. So, finally got one. And Colby's been working a shutdown, like a seven-week shutdown. He's been doing mostly 7-12s, and he's working at night. So, we haven't seen each other. And I was like, when you get home from your shutdown, will you please do this jade roller on my face? Because... It just, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. It's the cold on my rosacea. I'm like, will you please just do this when you get home? Well, he got home Tuesday morning and Wednesday night, we were like cleaning up and stuff. And I was like, okay, can you please do this roller on my face? He was like, yeah. So I lay my head in his lap. Like I'm looking up at the ceiling and he's like doing it on my face. He's actually doing a really good job, like being slut. You know how sometimes you want your partner to do something to your face and they're like, you know? Yeah. Well, he starts doing it. He does a good job. And he goes from my chin over my lips and, like, stops at my nose. And he goes, four-wheel drive. (laughs) Over my nose. (laughs) (laughs) Died laughing. And then he came from the top of my forehead and he went, it's like a ramp. And, like, (laughs) I died laughing. I was like. That is, like, the most country guy thing, you know, not yeah, being, yeah, like, yeah. not, like, oh, gender norms, blah, 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 but, like, truly, yeah. you know, when you think of, like, a southern man, for him to be doing the jade roller on my face and then pretend, like, he put it in four-wheel drive to get <laughs> over my nose, I died That's laughing. Great. That is funny. Jax liked it, too, uh, because he was like, what you got over there, you know, uh-huh. it's like I rolled his head. He was all over me trying to get that damn thing. I'm like, I am trying to relax. Can you get the fuck off of me? Right. Well, hopefully there's other people than just Donna that get a kick out of me, including Patreoners. No? Honors, honors, honors. Oh, they get all the honors? (laughs) Yeah, you know, Mm whatever. Well, they may not get all the honors, but they do get all the bonus content. So thank you so much, Jacqueline W. from Wisconsin. Kimberly S. from New York. Stephanie M. from the UK. Cheyenne D. from Michigan. Liz from Arizona. Jacqueline N. from New York. Bethany H. from Texas. And Emily L. from Indiana. Thank y'all so, so much for joining Patreon. Look, y'all are getting an episode a week of bonus content. You're getting a Facebook Live a freaking month. And that is some shenanigans sometimes. But when you join, you get all that backlog. So thank y'all so much. If you want an episode shout out and all that shit, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Apparently we're very boring and we have nothing else to talk about. So let's just get right in. (laughs) All right. Well, on Sinister Sightings, we talked about how creepy kids can be. So seemed like the perfect time to do a story about a kid. And I for real thought I had covered this story before. So I looked everywhere. I used Karen's APC like list of every episode we've ever fucking done. And I couldn't find it. I looked through all of my documents I've saved from my scripts I've written and everything. I couldn't find it. So 
We're going to talk about it today, and hopefully it's not a repeat. So here we go. Picture it, Ellerslie, Georgia, 1989. The Wyrick family, consisting of Andrew, who goes by Andy, Lisa, and their daughter, Heidi, moved into a home in Ellerslie. It was a small town, around 3,000 people, but had a great school district and seemed like the perfect safe place to raise their daughter. And this was the first house that they've ever purchased because they were like in their 20s. So they were really young and it was just an exciting time for them. The thing is, Heidi was three, almost four at the time, and she was a little less than excited only because there were no other children around for her to play with. But all that changed when she met this nice man outside. He invited her to come swing with him. He introduced himself as Mr. Gordy. He was dressed very nice in a black suit. He was an older gentleman with gray hair. And, you know, so he reminded her of a grandfather. And he had nice, black, shiny shoes. Well, Heidi went inside to ask her mama, Lisa, if she could go swing with the man outside. And she was like, uh, hell no. And went outside looking, you know, thinking some perp was trying to kidnap Heidi. But when Lisa went out, no one was there. Lisa called Andy. He came home and looked around and he couldn't find him either. And they were really scared for Heidi at this point. But as the weeks went on, Mr. Gordy kept approaching Heidi outside and telling her, you know, didn't have to be afraid of him and that he would push her on the swing and all the things. And I think... Kid logic took over and she didn't want to make her parents make such a fuss over it like they did the first time. And he seemed harmless, which we all know isn't the safe thing to do. But nonetheless, that's what happened. And Heidi and Mr. Gordy started spending a lot of time together outside. Heidi came clean to her parents that she was spending time with Mr. Gordy outside and they were upset, of course. So they ended up asking around different neighbors like, hey, do you know a Mr. Gordy gave a description that Heidi gave to them, but no one knew him. Lisa ended up keeping a very close eye on Heidi for fear of Mr. Gordy doing something sinister. But all she ever saw was Heidi doing kids things outside, just having a good time by herself. Then Heidi told her that Mr. Gordy came into her bedroom and sat at the end of her bed at night and kept her company. Oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Gordy started being everywhere with her. Mr. Gordy about to get knocked the fuck out. <laughs> but here's the thing. No one else could see him. So Lisa and Andy were convinced and relieved that Mr. Gordy was simply an imaginary friend. They were like, oh, Heidi's an only child. And then add on top of everything being the only kid in the neighborhood, it made sense that she had let her imagination run wild. One day, Lisa asked Heidi, hey, where does Mr. Gordy live? And she pointed up to the sky. So Lisa was satisfied. She was like, oh, okay. Heidi's just making up things as she goes along. Like, for real, for real, he's imaginary. It got to a point where Heidi was playing with Mr. Gordy a lot. She would eat in her room with him and ask her mom to make him a lunch plate too. 
But of course, the food always remained untouched. So everything seemed innocent. You know, Lisa would check in on her and she's talking like someone's there. The plate is, you know, looking like, oh, we're eating together, but no one is over there. Then one day, Heidi heard a knock at the door and answered it. She ran to get her mama and Lisa was like, what, Mr. Gordy at the door? And Heidi was like, no, this man has blood on his shirt. What? Yeah. So Lisa was like, hey, stay put. And so she ran to assess the situation. She searched all outside and couldn't find anyone. Lisa sat Heidi back down, you know, checked her out a little bit. And she asked again, like, are you sure it wasn't Mr. Gordy with the blood? And Heidi said, no, it wasn't Mr. Gordy. This man said his name was Con. Like, as in a fucking con man. (laughs) Well, Lisa was kind of dismissive and decided that they were one and the same and just figments of her daughter's imagination. And she was kind of like upset that, you know, she had just been running around outside like a fool for maybe no reason at all, just because her daughter's imaginary friend knocked at the door. But fast forward months later, Mr. Gordy was still a huge part of Heidi's life. Con wasn't a daily occurrence like Mr. Gordy was, but he would, you know, be mentioned here or there. Andy and Lisa were a little worried that Heidi seemed to have become a little more withdrawn because she was just always wanting to spend time with Mr. Gordy. Like, They'd be like, hey, you want to watch a movie? No, I'm going to go hang with Mr. Gordy in my room. Because he would tell her stories and they would just chit chat. But she seemed happy, so they really couldn't be mad at her. She was making the best of the only child scenario. And they were kind of astounded at the length she would go with her imagination. Lisa watched outside the window one day as Heidi was walking outside and she had her hand up in the air like she was holding hands with someone and talking like looking up just like she would if Mr. Gordy was really there. And Lisa was like, well, you committed kid really selling this, huh? And again, months passed And I think Lisa was a little lonely and she needed her own Mr. Gordy because when she learned the house next to her was available, she called her sister Joyce and was like, hey, you should totes buy it and we can live next to each other, help each other out. And her sister agreed. And that was really the first time Joyce was able to see Heidi and this Mr. Gordy in action. Well, it had been a few months since Joyce had moved in and the previous owner of the house, Catherine Ledford, and some places I saw said Kelly, but then some said that Kelly was the real estate agent, but Catherine was the one who had owned the property. So do what you like. It's names to me, you know, like, I don't know, but I'm going to say it's Catherine. She was back in town and she stopped by to hand over some deed documents and such. And when they were going over it, Joyce was looking and there was his name, James Gordy. And so she was like, huh, um, who is James Gordy? And Catherine was like, oh yeah, he is a lifetime friend of the family. He was a power of attorney for Catherine's mom. And Joyce was like, oh, okay, like, where is he living now? What does he do now? And Catherine was like, oh, he used to live, like, right up the corner, but he died in 1974. So Joyce was like, oh, 
the name looked familiar. Like, oh, okay. I was mistaken. But she had a gut feeling. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's fucking panicking on the inside. Exactly. So she went straight over to Lisa and showed her what she had just found out. So Lisa went straight to the library like the day after and did some research and printed out some stuff about his funeral and showed Heidi and was like, see, Mr. Gordy isn't real. He can't be real. And Heidi's like, he's real to me. But Heidi was like, you know, okay, if he's dead, like if you're, if this is what you're saying, I want to go see his grave. This like four-year-old was like, if he's dead, I want to go see his grave. She's like five and six at this point. And so Lisa agreed. When they pulled up, Heidi ran straight over to the headstone out of the hundreds there, like went straight to the one. And they said she couldn't even read yet. So maybe five. And Lisa was like, oh, shit. Okay, something's going on here, because how would she know where to go? Like, it wasn't like they just pulled up, like, like right in front of the one that they were supposed to go to. Right. Well, around this time, Andy, the dad, he was just trying to get Heidi to interact with more than just Mr. Gordy. And so... He did what he thought would be best, and he brought home a dog. Like, they had rescued a dog. But it wasn't a longtime member of the family. Oh, shit. It's not a bad thing. Like, it's not, like, really sad. It's just sad. Lisa and her niece, Kelly Brown, they were chatting one night in the living room, and the dog just started barking, like, looking into the kitchen, which is where you you can see into the kitchen from the living room. And... They're, you know, like kind of looking and the dog is like showing its teeth, snarling, like the hair on his back is just standing up, but the two women couldn't see anything. And so they were freaked out because this was right after they found out the whole Mr. Gordy thing. And so they were like, oh my God, the dog has never acted like this before. You know, like, yeah, it would stare off into nothingness and like, seemed to be like entertained by something but like not in a mean way yeah they were able to calm it down but soon after the dog ran off and never returned home again oh yeah but like could have been more sad you know what i mean yeah poor baby another thing that happened in the kitchen area while kelly lisa and heidi were in the living room doing some floral arrangements one of the dining room chairs like spun itself around and you know a chair just can't do that on its own like a full 180 yeah we're not in the exorcist so (laughs) well lisa needed some answers now so she called Catherine, the old neighbor and she wanted to know if there was ever any talk of anything weird going on on that property or anything. And Catherine was like, no, but let me come over and talk to you and Heidi. So she came over and she brought some old family pictures. Well, Heidi went through them and she like was just like, okay, okay, okay. But she got to a group of like five people in a picture and she pointed to one man and she said, mama, that's con. And Catherine kind of looked and she said, mama, that's con the man who had a bandaged arm and had blood on his shirt. Mm-mm. And Catherine said, well, hun, his name's not con. His name is Lon. And that was my uncle. But she went on to say that he had gotten his arm cut off, like more like his hand cut off. 
during a cotton gin accident when he was younger, around 20, and he had passed away from cancer in 1957. But like, I could totally see like Con and Lon getting mixed up, you know, and they're in Georgia. So like an accent could be very thick. Yeah. What was that name of that guy that you thought he was saying something different? What was his name really? Oh, Lon. What was his real name? Lane. (laughs) That's how bad his accent was. That's how country he was. Yep. I said, a lion? (laughs) He said, yeah. And I was like, lion. And he was like, yeah. Like a grr, lion? (laughs) Yeah, like I, I had to break it down to him. And then like... Yeah, that, yeah. I had to think about what you were talking about, but yeah, that one. You blocked that from your memory. Yeah. <laughs> Lane was you know, his name. At least you got serenaded. That was almost the worst part. Almost. Yeah, standing in her living room, serenading her. Where my dad could hear him. Yeah, remember that time that, you know, her dad lived with her? She took <laughs> care of him? Yeah, he was in the next room while this guy's belting out whatever he was singing. Oh, I remember one of them. Ed Sheeran. Thinking perfect. Oh, no, my God. Perfect. God, does he really think that that works is Dude, what I want to ask. This is a dick appointment, sir. Sit down. I literally hid my face and said, it's okay. Can can we? Oh, just sit. Just sit. Like, oh, God. But it was a different song, too. Gosh. I want to say it's the Bee Gees. Something about the, from the Bee Gees. Staying Alive? He would not be singing Staying Alive if he was singing Perfect. It was like a love song thing. And I was like, okay. Like, I like I think it had love in it. Gross. And I'm like, I am very uncomfortable right now. I'm like, can you just stop, please? <sighs> anyway, that that's a really, ugh. Ugh. Zero out of ten would not recommend. No. That is a level of intimacy for, like, a long-term relationship. Not a dick appointment. Oh, yeah. I mean, just all around, zero out of ten. Yeah, that was a rough one. Yeah. I mean, not, I wasn't not, there. <laughs> not a good rough. Touche. <laughs> well, that was a tangent. But kind of on topic because everything changed in 1993. Lisa, the mom, became pregnant. And we know how that happened. A dick appointment? Well, with her husband, but yes. And I don't know if this made like a change in Heidi emotionally or what, but the spirits around her were no longer the sweet men she knew. They were different ones, unknown, darker. Heidi saw a dark figure in the hallway and she was so terrified she asked to sleep with her parents that night. Oh, poor baby. And she literally see dead people. Right? Heidi seemed to be on edge all the time, and soon it seemed like the family was experiencing poltergeist activity, like objects moving, they'd hear sounds, things would be flung across the room, cabinets would be opened, slammed shut, you know, the whole ordeal. Heidi would be in her room playing, and she would feel the room temperature drop, and she knew that that meant the dark figure would be close by. And she would usually be attacked soon after, like having her hair pulled, stuff like that. And Lisa and Andy didn't know how to help their daughter. They talked about moving, but they understood that that really wouldn't help because it wasn't really the location. It was Heidi and her gift. Well, Heidi's younger sister, Jordan, was born February 3rd, 1994. And things really seemed to ramp up after that. Two weeks after Jordan's birth, Heidi woke up crying because she had three deep scratches on her face. She swore that she didn't do it to herself, but Andy said that she must have done it in her sleep or something, 
and just kind of dismissed it. Remember that time you dismissed her having an imaginary friend and it turned out it was a fucking ghost? Um, <laughs> allegedly. Uh-huh. Well, just two nights later, Andy woke up in pain with three claw marks down his side. Then the next night, three more scratches appeared, but this time down his back. And then a third night in a row, Andy was attacked, and the three claw marks were on his chest. He was completely covered in scratches, kind of like, oh, did you do that to yourself, sir? Mm-hmm. The local librarian had given Lisa the name of someone to reach out to. So the Wyricks reached out to a pretty well-known parapsychologist. I mean, just like average people wouldn't know, but like in the parapsychology world, he's well-known. Dr. William Roll. I'm very impressed with you. I, I had a to w, really practice. I was going to say, I had a to really practice. W and an R? And you just... <laughs> Rolled that right off the tongue. <laughs> he quickly took interest in Heidi and was able to find a picture of Mr. Gordy. And he did a lineup with his picture mixed in. And Heidi was once again able to pick out one of her, you know, quote unquote, imaginary friends. Dr. Roll believed Heidi was experiencing placed memories, which are like uh, recordings of people's energies in the environment. And so Heidi was just sensitive to that and in her mind constructed Mr. Gordy as a person who she interacted with. Dr. Roll did some tests and found that the electromagnetic activity fluctuated a lot in the house. He said that the ghosts were not real, just hallucinations, and that there is a fault line on the property, and that might be stimulating Heidi's brain. But the thing is, he couldn't explain the scratches. And when he left, because he was just basically like, it's the environment, you know, she's sensitive, but like, you shouldn't be alarmed. Everything's cool. Cool, cool, cool. And I don't know what to do about those scratches. Y'all probably did that in your sleep. Bye. But how did she know who they were based on their picture? He's saying that's place memories. So like, you know how we say like residual energy and stuff? He's saying that that happens, like the environment soaks up this energy from someone and she's sensitive to that. And so it's like when you're like, I know him from somewhere and you can't like put your like finger on it. Finger on Yeah. It's like a placed memory. Okay. That kind of, I mean, I'm, I probably butchered that whole thing. Sorry. But I mean, he left and shit continued. When Heidi was around eight years old, though, she really stopped seeing Mr. Gordy and Lon, formerly Con, but she did continue to see that dark figure from time to time. And when she was a teen, she had a friend over. Her name was Montine. And (laughs) (laughs) it's a rum. When she was a teen, she had a friend named Montine. (laughs) God. No? Okay. So her and Montine were hanging out, and they heard some loud knocking. Heidi went to investigate, and she went into one of the rooms, and there was that dark figure. Chills went all over Heidi's body. And she thinks she was so scared of him because she could never see his face. She knew he was male, but he was just a black figure. And the energy he gave off was so menacing. There were several more little sightings of different spirits, like an older woman who was laughing while Heidi was showering one time and she was home alone. And Heidi said that she got a really bad feeling from her. Then Heidi said that she saw a spirit of a man 
sitting on the bed in her parents' room for a brief second. And the older she got, it wasn't long before the whole town of Ellerslie knew about Heidi and her gift. And it's because there was a documentary about it. And I think because of like Dr. Roll and, you know, like things just kind of got out of hand. I bet that made it really easy for her to find friends. Right, exactly. Because a lot of people made fun of her at school. And she learned that sometimes real people are scarier than ghosts, unfortunately. But, of course, everyone wanted an interview. There was this one incident when a reporter came over unannounced and was going up to the house and was taking a picture, like, to be like, you know, the house that's haunted. But he got an overwhelming sense of dread and fear, left right then, and never went back. Well, that's what you fucking get. Exactly. But soon, Lisa learned that Heidi wasn't the only one with the gift. When Jordan was around three years old, remember, three was when Heidi started, Kelly, the niece, and Lisa were in the living room, always that damn living room, and they heard Jordan talking to someone, but they knew that she was alone down the hall. So Lisa was like, who are you talking to? And Jordan said, the little girl. Oh. And she was like, well, little girl. And she said, the one who got killed in the car accident? It is never a little girl. <laughs> well, around this same time, Joyce, the sister that lived next door, she started to have experiences herself. She heard a little girl laughing one night when she was by herself. And she was like, uh-uh, you know what? It's all fun and games until you start experiencing it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Lisa was really scared of her house at this point. She was really tired of living in fear for her, her daughters, now her sister. It was just a lot. She began to hear disembodied voices. And so she kind of turned to religion to fight the spirits. She was sure that they were demons. Well, Andy tried to help his wife, and so he called Dr. Roll back. And so he did some more research, and he was like, okay, since it's not just Heidi and Jordan's now experiencing this, your sister's having some like episodes, I believe that y'all are psychic. Like, y'all have ESP. So he actually went to Lisa's childhood home and found out that their psychic abilities seemed to have been passed down generations. He tried to explain that they were sensitive to the environment, that the spirits were not demons, but Lisa was not convinced of that. Dr. Roll did convince them to let him bring in a psychic to see about the house, and they were not to have any contact with the psychic or anything. But guess who the psychic was? The... You're not going to know. But y'all, it is Amy Allen from The Dead Files. I about fell out of my chair. I would have guessed that. You would not have. No, I wouldn't have. But like, this was obviously pre-Dead Files, but she did the whole thing like she does on the Dead Files. She had an assistant who videoed her while she walked through. And she wrote everything down? No. Okay. Not the same show? <laughs> okay. She's like a scrub. What? No. Okay. Never mind. Bye. <laughs> I was just trying to know. I know you were. Y'all, let's just leave Carrie out of this. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Y'all fangirling with me. Okay, y'all know she's, she is the woman of a thousand expressions. That woman. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so seriously, I about doid. 
Well, she picked up on a major player who she called the caretaker. She said someone who was really attached to the property and the houses in general and also the people. The entity was gentle, a protector, and a good spirit. She did get a little girl. She said that she was so solid that she hesitated for a moment because she was like, wait, is that a living little girl? Like, is someone here? And then she's like, oh, shit. She was like, that is so rare. So, like, I didn't, she didn't go into more detail about that. She just said that she was a good spirit, a gentle spirit. But I don't know if that meant, like, she was, like, freshly deceased or something. I, I don't know. But Amy did experience some negative energy as well. One that consisted of three different elements, two deceased men and one younger man that didn't have a face. It was kind of blacked out like a mask. And the feeling she got was very negative and very angry. So this really seemed to validate what they were experiencing because that dark entity, that dark figure, you know, she said that she knew it was a male, Heidi, but she could never see his face, you know? And mm-hmm. and that's what Amy was saying as well. Well, Amy agreed with Dr. Roll that the location really did play a factor. It had a high energy reading and then add that both mother and daughter were mediums. Like it was a perfect storm. You know, they were beacons of light in this like bland afterlife to these ghosts. But Amy was like, it's not demons. Let me just say like the negative energies. No, the negative entities were probably really bad people in life. But they're, they're not demons. Like, they were actually people. But Lisa could not be persuaded to believe it wasn't a demon. Like, call her Dibbic Douche because she was like, demon, 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 you're a demon, you're a demon, you're okay, but you're a demon. Like, whew. So she contacted another psychic. <laughs> Sorry, that reminds me of my friend Laura one time. She got really, really drunk at the bar. And one of us pissed her off and she was like, Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) You know, that's from Half-Baked. Really? Yes. Well, she did it in real life, and I thought it was clever. Damn it. (laughs) I wonder how many times in life that you thought people were so clever, and they were just referencing other things. (laughs) I'm going to go with a lot. I mean, no, that is really funny, though. Yeah. Like, I do love it. So Lisa contacted another psychic, but this one shared her faith, and he said that he specialized in demonic activity. He said, you know, I can't see Mm -hmm. the entities, but I can feel where they are. Okay. And he, like, went around her house and, you know, said, like, okay, one's trying to get in your daughter Jordan's room, one's over here. But the main thing is that there is a portal in front of your fireplace. So, like, he, you know, did some, like, cleansing and all of the things. But Lisa also requested the help of their pastor at their church. And so they all got together, like, the whole congregation and prayed over them And like that night, you know, she said she felt easier and everything. But to this day, Heidi still continues to see spirits. But she went on to live as normal of a life as she can. She got married to a man named Aaron and now has kids of her own. 
She also works in the medical field. She was interviewed in 2008 on WTVM.com, which is an ABC affiliate. And she's quoted as saying, every day, every day, I wish these things wouldn't have happened because my life would have been so much different. I wouldn't have been known for something like this. And that just breaks my heart because like she didn't ask for that, you know, like it came out about her life. Like they didn't say like, hey, look at my daughter. She can see ghosts. And like, I think she ended up being pulled out of school because of ridicule and stuff. Poor baby. Yeah. But if this sounds familiar to you, it was a documentary called A Haunting in Georgia. And that was the inspiration for The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghost of Georgia. So if that, I mean, like, it follows this pretty close. But I got a lot of information from different sources. But there is a documentary by Timeline on YouTube that I found. And it was like the four-year-old who sees ghosts. And I got a lot of information from there. But that is the story of Heidi Weirich. Poor thing. That like breaks my heart. I know. But the thing is, as bad as it was for her growing up and stuff, when things did come out and, you know, like more people were able to contact her and stuff, she did, of course, get more hate. But other people were like, hey, I have the same gift. This is what I do to cope with it. This is how I do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said that was really helpful to be like, okay, like. I'm not alone. Yeah, I'm not alone. I'm not this like freak like I always thought I was or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, okay. And I could be someone like these people are for me then, you know. I just don't understand why people have to make fun of each other. Like. Have I always been perfect? And have I, in my life, made fun of people I shouldn't have made fun of? For sure. We all suck. We're humans. We suck. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. Like, just hearing about these kids, like, it just makes me so sad. I know. I know. Well, speaking of nice, let me just say, when you get your package of Felix Gray glasses, you open them up, and you know what it says? What a sight for sore eyes. How freaking nice is that? You're like, thank you. Thank you. But, you know, it's like a, it's a pun. Donna said, little old me. (laughs) Uh, I just, you know, I love that kind of shit. Y'all, my Felix Grey glasses are so cute. And I have to say, Colby really likes me in glasses. I'm just like. Oh, okay. Rub it in that you have a fiance. Y'all, they are so freaking cute. Mine are like an amethyst color and They bring out my eyes. And Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine are Volta. They're black because I just didn't have any black glasses. I'm like, what? So mine are classic and I love them. Love them. I'm trying to be more mindful and to wear them more often because mine aren't prescription, whereas Donna's are prescription because, you know, she needs glasses. (laughs) And so I'm trying to be more mindful of like, hey, I'm just going to be sitting here watching TV and on my phone. Let me actually put them on instead of only wearing them when I'm on the computer. Or when it's sexy time with her fiance, apparently. I mean, I didn't say I wore them during sexy time. I did not say it. Uh Uh-huh. Y'all have heard us talk about how awesome these glasses are. Now we are telling y'all how fucking cute they are. But let's not forget why they're so awesome. It's because they are like the OG blue light blockers. The blocker is on the inside of the glass. So it's not like this film that's on the outside. They are so cute. So many options to choose from. They really are cute. Like 
top-notch cuteness, but also top-notch effectiveness because we've been having some headaches lately and we're trying to do everything to get those headaches to go away and I strain major cause of it. So we're wearing our Felix Grey glasses to help solve our issues. Well, one of our many issues. Let's be clear, our eye issues. We still have a plethora a gamut, if you will. So if you want help with your issues with headaches, fatigue of the eyes, fatigue in general, head on over to felixgrayglasses.com slash creep. That's felixgray, F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y, glasses.com slash creep. C-R-E-E-P. So you'll get free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. So felixgrayglasses.com slash creep. You know, look, I feel fancy with my glasses. Got to zhuzh it up a little bit at the Mm, end. Okay, okay. Okay, so I need to go ahead and put a content warning at the beginning of my story because it's a rough one and it does involve children. So you get a two for one today with kids. Shit. This story is a recommendation from a creepster in the Discord. So thank you so much, Tori, for this recommendation. We're going to talk about the Worley family, like W-O-R-L-E-Y family. Dang. Both kids, both from W last names. Are they from Georgia? No, they're from Indiana. We're talking about Jason and his wife, Brandy. The two of them got married in August of 2009 after a two-year engagement. I don't know how long they had been together total, but, you know, took their time planning a wedding. I guess. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but they got married. Best month ever. That's her birthday month. If you're new to the podcast and <laughs> don't realize how much of a fucking Leo she is. Mm-hmm. They ended up having two kids. Tyler Daniel Clinton Worley and Charlie Rose Jean Worley. They love some long names. Uh, those are all a lot of names. Well, Tyler was born in 2009, and Charlie was born in 2013. Jason was a software engineer and was actually doing pretty well in his career. He had started this new project at work, and it was kind of starting to take a lot of his time. And he started noticing that his wife, Brandy, was acting a little differently. Oh, no. They had had trouble in their marriage before, But this time, Jason took to Reddit for some relationship advice. I'm so used to you doing older stories and you have Reddit in your thing and it's like, oh my gosh, also the world we live in now. Right. This story actually takes place in 2016. Now look, I'm not one to just like read a whole thing to y'all, but I'm actually going to read his Reddit post and it's kind of long, but I feel like he, I mean, who can sum up his story better than he can, right? So I'm just going to read his story. His username on Reddit at the time was Jason in hell. He says, I'm a 30 year old male having a hard time coping with my wife, a 29 year old female having cheated on me with our neighbor. And then he does the TLDR, too long, didn't read. I caught my wife cheating on me over a year ago. I stayed with her for the sake of our children, but I haven't been able to get it off my mind since. Also, this user has been deleted, um, but, you know, everything's archived, so you can still find it. And I referenced it. So he says, it's been 476 days since I confronted her about it. How do I know? Because every time I catch myself thinking about it, I tell myself, it's only been X days. Maybe you won't think about it tomorrow. 
So to go back to the beginning, I had just taken on a new project and new responsibilities at work. I was working a lot of hours, 60 plus per week, and was noticeably stressed. It was May of 2015 that I noticed she had added a password to her phone. When confronted about it, she told me it was because she was planning my Father's Day present and didn't want me to ruin the surprise. You say ruin really weird. How you say it? Ruin. What I say? Ruin? Ruin. Well, that's, I feel like the country way to say it. <laughs> okay, continue. Also, uh, who doesn't have a passcode on their phone? Girl, I know. I mean, all you But a lot stuff, of people don't. I don't understand that. But I will say, so I have an iPhone that still has the fingerprint because I still have a button. Mine's still, an, I still have an eight. And Colby's fingerprint is in my phone and he knows my passcode. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on his phone, he's got a passcode. And I think I know it, but I can't remember it right now. But my face is in it. Yeah. he has the iPhone that does the face identity. I say identity weird too, apparently. (laughs) You know, like, so I feel like it's normal to have a code on your phone. It's not normal if you just all of a sudden started having one in a sketchy way. And don't tell your partner. Right. But I think it's weird for your partner. Like, if I... If Colby can't pick my phone up at any time and do whatever he wants to on it, something's wrong. Exactly. About a week later, she came to me and told me that she felt guilty keeping a big secret from me and told me she was having our neighbor, a contractor, build a home office for me as my present. It struck me as odd, as in our six years together, she has never said she felt guilty about anything and always insists that she never regrets anything in her life. Time goes on, her phone is still password protected, and things don't feel right. I see her using her phone and smiling to herself more and more often. But when I ask her what she's doing, she says nothing and puts her phone away. That's sketch. If I'm smiling on my phone and you say, what are you smiling about? I'd be like, oh, I'm texting the girls. Or, oh, in the family chat, they said blah, blah, blah. Hey, look at this meme they just sent me. Exactly. I will say, I am one that puts my phone face down. And that comes from a long time of being programmed to that and not want people to see my notifications. <laughs> but it also comes from now I have a loopy case and mm-hmm. so it doesn't lay flat. So I lay it on its face because it's the loopy case. That's funny. I, I lay mine on its back. But again, you could pick my phone up at any time yeah. and look at my notifications. You know? Yeah. So one morning I wait for her to get in the shower and I grab her phone before it requires the password. I go through her messages and find that she is texting the neighbor. I'm all covered in frosting. You want to lick it off? Well, that's a lie. That's sticky. (laughs) There were no other messages to the neighbor, but I found out later that was because she had set up her phone to delete messages after a certain amount of time. I felt uncomfortable with it, but I knew she had a perverted sense of humor and thought she would never do anything to hurt me. More time goes by, and the neighbor is spending more and more time at our house, but the office is being completed slower and slower. I can't help but worry that something isn't right, so I started checking her location using Google Timeline. It was at this point that I realized that there are large gaps in her GPS history because she was turning off her phone's GPS. Fast forward to July, and at this point, the paranoia is driving me nuts, so I tell her that I need to install a new antivirus on her phone. While she has it unlocked for me, I install anti-theft software so I can remotely turn the GPS back on and set up AT&T message backup and restore so I can read all of her text messages from that point on my computer. The next day, my mother asks to spend time with my kids, so my wife drops them off with her, and she has a day to herself. 
I watch my wife's activity from work as she spends the day trying to meet up with a neighbor, but is unsuccessful because he's busy with another job site. That night, we get the kids back from my mom's house, and we go out to dinner with the neighbor and his girlfriend and his son. My wife and his girlfriend are having a good time drinking, laughing, and just joking around. His girlfriend mentions that she would like to see Magic Mike XXL, and I say, that's a good idea. I'll watch the kids so my wife and her can go. So my wife and her go, and the neighbor and I go back to my house so the kids can play video games together. The kids are back in my son's room playing games, and the neighbor is sitting across from me on the other couch. It is at this point that my wife starts texting him. She's describing sex acts she would like to perform with him, and he is reciprocating. She tells him to check his Snapchat, and at the same time, I get a Snapchat from her too. And it's her (laughs) fingering herself in a bathroom stall. Oh, shit. They keep talking, trying to figure out when they can meet up and have sex. They decide on Monday morning after I go to work. So in my head, I'd already planned to pretend to leave and circle back to catch them. But then they tell each other that they love each other. And it's all I can do not to leap off the couch and knock him out. But I contain myself and continue reading the conversation unfolding in front of me. Then he tells her, you're my girl now. To which she replies, always have been. Ending with him writing, and always will be. Ew, 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 ew. My wife and the neighbor's girlfriend return from the movie. And I ask them politely to sit down. I then ask the kids to stay in my son's room and shut the door. I return to the living room and confront my wife and the neighbor. I say, so you two love each other, huh? My wife goes into full-blown denial mode, and the neighbor's girlfriend starts smacking him. I ask my wife if she's been texting him, and she says no. So I show her the text messages. She admits to it, but says it was the first time it had gone that far. I ask my Okay. Right? I ask my wife if she has sent him pictures. She says, no. Ma'am, uh, he's got your text messages. Don't you think he's got a mirror right. image of your fucking phone? I don't know if that's the right term, but he got your shit. Yes. Like, don't lie. Also, if you're going to lie, don't lie poorly. Right. Like, okay, okay, okay. But this is the first time. So you're saying always have been, always will on the first time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, y'all are saying love you. No, you're being like, I love you. You're not being mm-hmm. like, bye, love ya. See you when I get back from Magic Mike. Right. Fuck you. So she says no about having sent him a picture. So I show her the picture. She admits it, but says <laughs> it was the first time. Oh, God. I ask her if she's having sex with him, and she says no. Because I didn't wait to catch them having sex together, I didn't have the evidence to prove her wrong, so that one stayed unresolved. Well, he could have been like, okay, you might be truthful on that, only because y'all couldn't hook up on whatever day. Yeah, because he was working. Uh-huh. I tell her that I'm leaving. She tells me that she will make sure I never see the kids again if I do. She planned on using the fact I had attempted suicide in college to prove me unfit to have the children. Wow. Meanwhile, he's 30 now. That was 12 years ago. Right. And even, what the fuck ever. She continued to say it was my fault for being so busy with work and stressed out. She just wanted someone she could talk to. That right there pisses me off so badly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry that he's working hard for your fucking family. Right. And that he's doing everything he can to provide. Like, and, and that goes for whether it was the wife working long hours. It doesn't matter who. Like, someone's working long hours. You think that they would rather be at home with you and your kids than fucking at work? Yes, they would. But they're right. trying to provide for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like, I'm so lonely. Fuck that. 
Right. Well, also, she's using that as a gaslighting technique. 100 percent. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely turning this back on him to be like, which is what gaslighting is. But <laughs> this is your fault because you did this. Not I'm not responsible for my own actions. Right. Then she gives me an ultimatum to decide what I'm going to do or she will decide for me. The neighbor's girlfriend starts defending the two of them, saying that it couldn't have been serious if they weren't having sex and that my wife and I are too perfect together to let this break us up. Ew. The neighbors go home and my wife and I argue the rest of the night about what we're going to do. We go to bed separately, having not resolved anything. We keep going back and forth on the subject all weekend and finally settle on we're going to separate temporarily while we figure out what we want. I was going to stay in the house and she was going to take the kids and go to her mom's house. That Monday, I go to work and I get a text from her in the middle of a meeting with my bosses stating that she had explained things to our kids and that they were upset and I needed to explain it to them also. I get home from work and find my kids crying. She had told them that mommy had to move out because dad was mad at her. When my son wanted to stay with me, she told him that he can't. My son put it together that if mommy has to move out because I'm mad at her and he must move out, then I must be mad at him too. Oh my gosh. He's seven, by the way. Wow. My daughter was crying because my son was. I don't think she was old enough to understand what was happening. She's three. So seven and three. Wow. It was at that moment I realized she was going to drag the kids through hell if I left her. So I swallowed my feelings and begged her to stay. She agreed and insisted that I apologize to our neighbor since we were still going to need to hang out with them because our sons are good friends. What the fuck? No, no, no. I hate it, but I do it anyway. We still hang out with them from time to time and they come over to our various birthdays and holiday parties. But I do anything for my kids and I behave civil every time. Things die down for a while. I still think about it constantly. I worry, how can I keep from making her so unhappy that she cheats on me again? Then almost a year from the original incident, around Father's Day, she sends him pictures again. She claims it was an accident that she meant to send them to me instead. I don't fully believe her, but I move on anyway. Things have been quiet on that front for about four months. But I still think about it constantly. This is going to sound stupid, but I feel like I have a part of my brain that I can't shut off that is always thinking. I used to use that to solve programming problems, and it made me very good at my job. But ever since this incident, the only thing it thinks about is her and him, and if I did the right thing. My job performance has suffered, and I feel like I haven't gotten sleep in months. I'm afraid that after this much time, the fact that I begged her back, that to say I want a divorce now would only make her more vindictive towards my children and I. I just feel like I have put myself so deep in a hole that I can never get back out. I haven't really talked to anyone about this. I don't want to talk to my mom about it because I felt she would treat my wife differently and I didn't need the two fighting any more than they already do. I tried talking to one friend, but his advice was to put my trust in God. That was not much solace for me as I'm an atheist. So I have no clue what to do with my feelings or how to move on from this. So after that Reddit post, he got all the advice. Like people were like, bro, you need counseling. Like you need to go see an attorney, you know, all the things. And he eventually posted again to say, thanks for the advice. I'm going to seek an attorney's advice next week. Well, finally, on November 15th, 2016, Jason tells Brandy that he wants a divorce. And I imagine that it went exactly how it went the first time. She, I'm sure, threatened to use his previous attempt to die by suicide. 
you know, all the things. And I'm like, can't he, couldn't he go see a psychiatrist to be like, look, can you like help me prove that I'm of sound mind? Like, can we get some paperwork together? Right. You know? Right. But he tells her, look, I want a divorce. And you have to remember too, this is a couple that when Tyler, their son was born, the oldest one, he was 10 weeks early. And together, Jason and Brandy had made a pact that they were going to always put their children first before anything, before work, before their marriage, before anything, they were going to put their children first. Now, I don't agree with that. Me either. So y'all, look, neither one of us have kids. And I actually kind of pulled the audience today at work and I was like, how do you feel about that? And by that, I mean, I only asked two people. But they both, both of them have kids and they both agreed with me. Like, I feel like our job as parents, I don't have a kid, but you know, the point of being a parent is to raise a child to be a productive human being on their own and for them to move out and move on. Mm -hmm. And then what are you left with? You're left with your spouse that you've grown apart from because you've spent so much of your life focusing on your child and now y'all don't even know who each other are anymore right and you've moved on and you're separate people now instead of being well you're always separate but you know what I mean you haven't moved on together and grown together and yeah and I would I don't want that well I don't want kids but yeah like I feel like too can we normalize actually liking your partner and wanting to spend time with them and like just the people like I watched Real Housewives of Salt Lake City the other day did I tell you this Mm -mm. okay I think it was my sister Casey I was telling and one of the husbands asked, if you watch the show, Meredith's husband asked Whitney's husband, you go golfing with your wife? And he's like, yeah. And Meredith's husband's like, you're supposed to golf to get away from your wife. And I'm like, can we, I told Casey, I was like, can we normalize like actually wanting to hang out with your partner? Right. Like that's disgusting to me. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't like that. Right. That's me kind of getting on a tangent that has really nothing to do with this story. (laughs) But I feel like it does. It stems from putting other people first. Like even your parents, like your parents are your immediate family and then you get married and you have a family or you don't have a family, or you don't get married, and you do have a partner, but that partner then mm-hmm. becomes your immediate family, and they become your priority. Right. You know, so it can be toxic in-laws, it can be kids, it can be anything, and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just ick to me. No, for sure. I've always said that about kids, like people who say, like, I will always put them first, like in their dating profile and stuff, that just would never sit right with me because... Like, we're, that's not how I would see it. Right. And you're not asking them to ignore their kids. Right. Or to neglect their kids because you wouldn't want to be with somebody that does that anyway. Exactly. But it's like, just that, like, why would I think you wouldn't be there for your kid? Like, I don't know. Just that's you standard. putting that in your profile is kind of ick to me. You're also probably the person that thinks that you're babysitting your kids when you have them. Right. If you put that in your profile. Yes. Now, I do understand, like, the weekends that you have your kids, they're the focus. You know, when they're yeah. not with you full time and all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, not, we're not saying that. Exactly. Life situations, like, fluctuate and stuff. Like, there's, there's different things. But the overall, like, generalization of it. Your partner should come first. Yeah. Like, my mom always said, this shows that my parents loved each other, but I always say I never want their relationship. But she said, though, she knew my dad loved her when my brother was being born. 
And he was the third child, y'all. Um, but he had complications. So and the only boy, too. Yeah, the only boy. But he had complications. And so, like, she'd had two natural births. And she was going to have to go to be rushed and have a C-section done. And the doctor asked my dad, okay, well, if we have to save one, who do you want to save? And he said, save Patty, save my wife, because we can have another kid. Like, I can't have another wife. I can't have another Patty, you know? And she was like, oh my God, he loves me, you know? And again, like, it's not like, oh, just have another kid, like whatever. But it is like, no, that's your spouse. That's your person. That's your... I mean, I know not everybody believes in soulmates, but that's your soulmate. That's your, that's Mm -hmm. your person. Yeah. And so like, I, I just always love that story for her. Like, cause I don't know. I just wanted her to know that she was loved. Okay. So now that we've given our opinions on all of this shit that y'all are probably like, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. (laughs) Because they don't have kids. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Because I was going to say, we don't have kids. And maybe y'all are like, thank God y'all don't have kids. No, because I still stand by my opinion. Oh, I mean, you know what I no, mean? No, I'm saying I still stand by it too, but I'm saying they might be like, thank God y'all don't. <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. <laughs> so the next day, really though, all that to say, just kind of the dynamics of their marriage. They, you know, they had had trouble before the infidelity and, you know, the kids were just their priority. And so I feel like, so for sure, Jason was doing everything he could to keep the kids happy which we know study after study shows that kids do better in a house, sorry, kids do better with divorced parents than parents who are miserable. Right. And in a poor marriage. Study after study shows that you're not, you fuck your kids up more if you stay and you're unhappy than if you go ahead and get divorced. Yep. So Jason's still in the house, even though he's like, look, I want a divorce. Well, the next day, Charlie had a dance recital so as a family they went to the dance recital when they came home they had dinner and then and then they played for a little while like it said they had a little murphy bed that they played on like he and the you know all the kids Mm -hmm. all the kids there was two of them but anyway jason got them ready for bed and when he put them to bed he told them i love you i'll see you in the morning also what kind of dance did charlie do i don't know in my head i was picturing ballet um that makes sense too So Brandy tells Jason that she has to go to Walmart because she has to get some pipe cleaners for Tyler's school project. She also tells Jason, hey, why don't you just sleep on the couch? Because he had been sleeping in the basement on a blow-up mattress. And she's like, why don't you just sleep on the couch? And he's like, nah, I'm good. I'll go to the basement. At 4.35 a.m. on November 17th, 2016, Brandy calls 911. The 911 call goes something like this. They say, where's your emergency? She says the address. And they say, what happened? And she says, I stabbed myself and killed my two children. What? And they say basically that. They repeat it. And she says, mm-hmm. And they say, okay, what's your name? She says, Brandy Worley. They get her to spell it, you know, all the dispatcher things. She says that my husband wanted a divorce and wanted to take my kids. I don't want him to have my kids. Oh my gosh. The Josh Powell of this. Yes. So they're, you know, they ask her like, so you stabbed yourself? Like, where did you stab yourself? She stabbed herself in the neck. And they're like, are you bleeding? And she says, yeah, there's blood everywhere. And she is so stoically calm. I don't even know if that's a word, but she is like, yeah, 
there's blood everywhere. Like it's so. Don't say stoic. Stoic to me sounds like, like maybe because it rhymes her with heroic, but like wow, like it calm the, in the face like, of adversity. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's a, a, a dickhead, and um, <laughs> she's a calm dickhead. <laughs> yes, like eerily calm. Yes, a very good point. So they're like, "Where's your husband?" And she tells them that he's downstairs in the basement. He locked the door, and she couldn't get in. And they're like, is he okay? And she's like, I don't know. I haven't talked to him. And she also tells them that she had taken a lot of Benadryl. And basically, sorry. And then she tells the dispatcher that the kids are in Charlie's room. And that she is in the kitchen. Well, eventually, her mom gets there. Because she had called her mom before she called 911. What? Yeah. So her mom gets there. And talks like picks up the phone talks to 911 dispatcher and sees all the blood I, I don't know if she just saw brandy or she actually went to charlie's room and she starts screaming and that is what woke jason up oh my god because keep in mind he's in the basement this is four o'clock in the morning he has no idea what's going on he is sound asleep when he comes up to see what is going on and like why why are you screaming all of that he sees his ex-mother-in-law there screaming and brandy is just sitting in the living room floor and he's like what happened and she said now you can't take my children from me wow wow so the officers get there and they take jason outside but he can still hear on the walkie-talkies and he hears two deceased children in the house. Oh my gosh. So what Brandy did was she told Tyler that they wanted to have like a sleepover in Charlie's room. So that's how she got Tyler in there. They take Brandy to the hospital and Wait. and then honestly from there it's it's not very clear but I think while they were asleep Brandy stabbed Tyler four times. Oh my God. Three with deep stab wounds and one with a superficial wound. And then Charlie had three stab wounds. And when she went to Walmart, she didn't get pipe cleaners. She bought a knife. Wow. And that's the knife that she used to kill her children and to stab herself. Wow. So 1,000% premeditated. I really feel like she was going to kill him too. And that's why she wanted... Him to sleep on the couch yeah. and not the basement. I, I completely agree. Well, that's why I was like, he locked her out and she couldn't get to the basement? Maybe. That may be what happened. But I, yeah, I think that that's why she wanted him on the couch too. Yeah. Well, she of course goes to the hospital after she gets out. It was like, she she was fine. She was It was not even like life-threatening injuries. So she gets out of the hospital, and of course, they arrest her. Jason made a statement that said, Today has been hard. I went back to the house for the first time. The cleaning company has already come and gone. I don't know if it's in my head or not, but I swear I could still smell blood when I went into Charlie's room. Oh my gosh. It was so heart-wrenching to be hastily grabbing the remnants of my life and throwing them in the back of a van. I just couldn't be in that house any longer. I just can't help but wonder that if I had slept on the couch like she suggested instead of an air mattress in the basement, then maybe I could have saved my children or at the very least died with them. A father has one job in this world to protect his children and I failed to do that. Eventually, Brandy pled not guilty and they're like, okay, she's going to do like an insanity defense. But eventually she just up and changed her plea to guilty. 
of two counts of murder, and she was sentenced to 120 years in prison. After Tyler and Charlie's funeral, a GoFundMe was set up to help pay for the funeral and just other expenses, and it went to over $50,000 for Jason. Wow. She never, like, when she was given a chance to, like, provide a statement or anything, never did, has shown literally no remorse since the murders, has had, I mean, nothing, like, literally nothing, no tears, no anything, like, completely no emotion to murdering her two children. You know, at first, people were like, well, is that the Jason from the Post? Because he was, you know computer guy you know but he ended up you know responding and saying hey I'm going to the attorneys and then from there responded and said hey yeah this is me he had changed his name to I forget Jason Code or something with computers and did respond and say yes this is me and like linked the article about the murders and all of that and you can find all that on Reddit but one of the podcasts I listened to on this just said basically like eventually the internet world will collide with the real world yeah this was so heartbreaking and it was it's such a short story but I don't know like I was like should I do this as a bonus episode or should I you know I just didn't know because like it's not that long of a story but I was like this is heartbreaking yeah and you just can see the manipulation from Brandy like the gaslighting of yeah turning this on him making him apologize to the neighbor are you fucking kidding me he did nothing wrong he has nothing to be sorry about right i wonder what that neighbor feels i don't know but but the thing is is it's not the neighbor's fault either like did the neighbor have an affair with a married woman yeah but it's still not their fault oh yeah but i'm you know what i mean it's just like whoa yeah this person i had sex with Allegedly. We don't know for sure. Well, I'm sorry. This person I loved. AKA, yes, they did. Yeah, but this person I said I loved murdered their kids next door to me. And the neighbor's child, his son was friends with Tyler. Yeah. So it's like, not only is it like, have that realization. Oh, yeah. Now you have to explain to your kid that their best friend is now dead by the hands of their mother. Yeah. Also, like, back to her gaslighting and manipulative, like, the way that she handled the kids, first of all, why are you telling the kids without me? This is a conversation we sit down together and tell the kids. Well, that just, sorry, that just shows that she doesn't care about the kids like that. No, she, they are a pawn Uh for her because, and I know that the kids are too young and even if they were old enough, you're not necessarily like, hey, your mom or hey your dad cheated on me because they don't necessarily need to know everything but also like it is hard on kids not knowing the story like I know that they're too young but like I don't I don't know like sometimes you I feel like you need to know who to blame oh yeah I 100% agree about that too but I also understand like you want your kid to still I'm, tr- I'm trying to like, I'm kind of dance around this. Like my parents separated one time when I was a kid and it was like, I wanted to know whose fault it was. Yeah. Like whose fault is this? Who who did what? You yeah. Know? And so that's why I'm saying like as a kid, I, I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. But also I know as an adult, you aren't trying to pit yourself against the other parent because that's still their parent and you want them to love and respect their parent just because they may have made a mistake or whatever. You're not trying to like change anything in their eyes. And I mean, it, I forgot what, what age pa- kids start realizing oh my parents aren't perfect you know so it's like you don't want to like shatter the glass on their parent being perfect you know yeah I don't know so I also understand the balance of like 
you shouldn't be talking terribly about your significant other in front of your kids. Yeah. I think there's a difference in saying, like, talking terribly about someone and then saying what happened. Yeah. These are the facts. Mm -hmm. Actions have consequences. Yeah. Like, that's how I feel about it. Also, though, I don't have kids. I feel so sorry for everyone involved. The marriage, like, even, because you get these little snippets, but it just seems so toxic, like, that she fought with the mother-in-law. You know, just, like, all these little snippets that just seem Mm -hmm. so fucking toxic. Yeah. And, like, blaming him because he was working too long. And, you know, it's just, like, I don't know. Communicate. Like, just say what you want to say. Like, I hate passive aggressiveness. Yes. Just say it. If it's going to cause a fight, let's fight and get it over with and it's out there. Yeah. But. (sighs) There was some stuff it just like talked about. I mean, this of course really impacted the community. You know, Tyler was in grammar school. Charlie was in preschool. You know, and so just think about the impact on their friends. Yeah. I mean, it's such a ripple effect. Yeah. I just feel so bad for Jason because like for him to even just say, I wish I was there. I could have saved them or I could have died at least with them. Oh, yeah. Like that. The turmoil that he's going through. I can't even imagine. And it's like, no, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have saved him. Like she, he, she would have killed you first probably. Well, yeah. Cause there would have been, I mean, I don't know that he would have heard anything. Right. Like she had this all done in her head, you yeah. know, like that's again, why she said that. And which is why, yeah, which I think you're talking about, like sleeping on the couch, uh-huh. 100%. I mean, she said, I'm going to get pipe, pipe cleaners cleaner. for his for his project. And she went and bought a fucking hunting knife. Like, she knew what she was doing. Yeah, and that's so, that's so telling too. I know, like, what are, what's your thought process getting in the car, driving to Walmart, while you're in there going, huh, which knife should I pick out? Well, Pay and a knife. Mm, oh a my knife. God, so personal. And just so, just savage. <sighs> Heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. I kind of wish my story would have been first. I it's know. so sad. It's so sad. Y'all have some recommendations for stories that I would have never found on my own. And they are so terrible, but such good stories that need to be shared, you know. Yeah, and thought-provoking. and Yeah, and I think it's just really highlights. Because I feel like, I think it really highlights the behaviors that not you would never have assumed led to murder never but that are toxic in a relationship I feel like the term gaslighting is we're starting to use that like we use triggering you know like it's just such a buzzword now Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand those behaviors as a manipulative tactic for what they are and that it's a way to put someone else's behaviors and make it then your responsibility when you're not responsible for how someone else behaves. Right. This was a dang heavy episode. I know. Heavy as she goes. Isn't that a song? It's a song, no? <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully when we go to record next episode, um, our computer won't hit. Y'all, we had this computer, turned it off, turned it on 16 dozen times. It died. Donna had to go home and get her computer. It was awful. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll get these computer issues handled so it'll be smooth sailing next week. <laughs> More things y'all don't care about. Touche. But, you know, we got a bonus episode to get out next week. We do, we do. You know, Patreon content. Ooh. Gotta make that plug one more time. Speaking about plugs. Okay. Thank y'all so much for listening <laughs> and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.